Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey. And today, I'm really excited about the topic that we are going to be discussing in this whole world of virus uh, fear, paranoia. We are hearing a lot about washing our hands, wearing a mask, social distancing. And I really want to know, is is that a long-term solution for supporting our immune system? Or are there other things that we could be doing? And so I have brought in Dr. Chad Edwards to discuss this with us today. And let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Edwards. He was active in several martial arts starting at the age of six. He attained multiple ranks in several different styles, attaining a third degree black belt in Boju Thai Karate. He enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1989 as a medic and preventative medicine specialist. He was a drill sergeant at Fort Sill, Oklahoma for three years. He holds a BS in exercise science and sports medicine from Oklahoma Baptist University and attended medical school at Oklahoma State University College for Health Sciences. He completed residency at Womack Army Medical Center in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and is board certified in family medicine. Recently, he served as the battalion surgeon for a special operations unit helping the Iraqi people as well as U.S. and NATO military personnel in northern Iraq. He was a flight surgeon and a dive medical officer in the U.S. Army and had the distinct honor of working with and serving in several U.S. Army Special Operations units. Dr. Edwards has worked as an emergency physician in several hospitals in Tennessee and Kentucky. He is board certified in family medicine by the American Board of Family Medicine and has a family and functional medicine practice at Warren Clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma, paying special attention to sports medicine, health and wellness as a preventative strategy to optimize health, minimize injury risk, and decrease disease. Viewing his patients through a holistic approach helps identify subtleties and their function that are beginning to show signs of dysregulation. His favorite thing in medicine is helping others achieve their dreams of feeling healthy again when nothing else has been able to help, which is why I am so excited to welcome you to the show. Thanks for being on, Dr. Edwards. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is super exciting, and I, um, I feel like you can speak to so much that is going on right now because, as we just read from your bio, you have an extensive amount of experience in all sorts of areas of <laughs> medicine, including the ER currently, right? You are currently right. working at an ER. Correct. Yeah, in my bio, it's a, a, what I sent you was a little bit dated. So I work in the emergency room in Oklahoma, uh, but I have worked in, in several states. Uh, so I have my clinic. And I work in the emergency room. And so, you know, fortunately, we didn't have to close at either one of them at all. Wow. And one of the things that was very, very frustrating to me when this first started is all, you know, everything's kind of shutting down. And what I saw was primary care clinics closing mm. and people coming to the emergency room. And I'm like, guys, that is the last thing you want. People that are sick come to the emergency room. And when we're concerned about something like COVID, um, which is scary. And, at, you know, initially, we don't know how bad this is and right. it looks really bad and all these kinds of things. And so we have people with relatively benign things that could be addressed by their primary care that they're being denied because their clinic's closed and they're concerned about COVID. And yeah. I'm like, you know, that's just, that's part of medicine. So open your clinic, 
take care of your people. And it was just yeah. really frustrating to me. Um, yeah. But, no, that's, that's really interesting. There's been so much back and forth. And I think, you know, just for probably my listeners and for people who are not in the medical field, we're just confused because we hear things change every day Absolutely. and it's just, so I can only imagine if it's confusing for us. I mean, it's gotta be confusing as you are treating patients, right? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I know I feel very comfortable in my approach to COVID, but unfortunately, the emergency room that I work in, I have a really some good leeway uh, with doing things. And I'm very big on do, doing inhaled budesonide and inhaled steroids, which mm -hmm. we can talk more about if you'd like. Yeah. Um, so I, I utilize those in those that they come in and they're short of breath, they have an oxygen requirement, mm -hmm. uh, and they need some kind of intervention. I think that you need a localized uh, anti-inflammatory. We use it for asthma. We use it for these inflammatory mm -hmm. conditions, COPD, things like that. Why wouldn't we use it for the inflammatory problem that we have with COVID? So it makes sense. The problem is that when you do that, it, the, the fear is that it aerosolizes this virus particle, kicks it up into the air, and makes it where everybody can breathe it in. Well, and I argue that what you're supposed to be wearing masks, you're supposed to, you know, in, in the emergency room, we're supposed to be doing all these other things. You should have negative pressure, although one of the emergency rooms I work in does not have a negative pressure room. So that makes it a little more challenging. Wow. Um, but our job is to take care of that patient. And, you know, there are things that we can do to protect ourselves. And I don't get into the fear mongering. And, you know, some of it's probably uh, my faith that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be taken mm -hmm. care of. But the other piece is that I don't think I'm a target. I mean, it's, and I think that's one of the important things that we'll, that we'll discuss is mm -hmm. if you don't want to get COVID, don't be a target. Uh, yeah. So we can talk about hand washing and masks and all these other things, but that's just trying to break the link, so to speak. And I think the, I think one of the more important pieces is don't be one of the statistics where, uh, you know, you're naturally uh, inherently at risk because of multiple comorbid conditions, nutritional deficiencies, vitamin D deficiency, zinc deficiency, all these other things. Um, and so I, I like using uh, inhaled budesonide and I have the flexibility to do that. Uh, and, but if I send a patient to another hospital, they're like, oh, we can't, we can't do that here. And yeah. there's just, you're right. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of unknown. And how do we take care of these patients? Um, and I had, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll open this up briefly. It goes into some of the yeah. misinformation. Um, one of the last patients that I had that came in with COVID that was sick, uh, she was a 65-year-old lady, had heart issues, had COPD, comes into the emergency room because she called 911, uh, EMS shows up because of shortness of breath. They get there, she had an oxygen requirement, her pulse ox was like 79% wow. um, and was very short of breath. They checked her temperature, she had a fever. So they're like, this is COVID. So they call us and they tell us this and we're having to shuffle some things around. And so when the patient comes in, I do my exam um, and I listen to her, get her on, we actually put her on BiPAP, which a lot of places don't do that. Um, but I like using it because uh, I like using it, it before COVID. Let me take COVID out for a second. Okay. I like using it because we can stable, if I can stabilize a patient with that, I don't have to intubate them. So risk for them goes down. And, I, and if I don't need to do that, let's not do that. Um, right. And I, I love doing airway management. I like intubating patients. But if it's me laying on the table, I don't want to do that unless I absolutely have to. So we put her on, actually the EMS put her on BiPAP. So we just continued that. Um, and she was satting 100% and she was talking and actually feeling quite a bit better and did a COVID test. And sure enough, it was positive. So she has COVID, 
But as, uh, as we went through all of our labs, I got my chest X-ray and I looked at her chest X-ray and I said, that's not COVID, that's congestive heart failure. And so oh. we treated her for congestive heart failure. In two hours, she was on room air, did not require oxygen at all. Wow. Because we treated the congestive heart failure, we gave her Lasix and some other things, and it dramatically helped her condition. And yes, she had COVID, but her acute problem was congestive heart failure. We treat the congestive heart failure, and clinically, she's significantly better. Now, the problem, and this gets into some of the misinformation, is I cannot accurately say COVID didn't cause her congestive heart failure, but the problem was congestive heart failure. So you've got two separate issues and you have to be able to discern those, not lump everything together and say, oh, this is COVID and we got to do it all this way. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. We still have to use our thinking, uh, you know, put on our thinking caps and take care of patients the way they need to be taken care of. So the, uh, the emergency room that I, or the hospital that I called to transfer to, our, our hospital is not big enough to take care of a patient that sick. So uh, I called her, called the, the hospitalist in this other hospital and uh, they wanted me to intubate her because she was on BiPAP. And they said, we can't take her unless she's intubated. And I uh, said, well, let me get her on a mask and let's see if we can do okay. And she, we quickly got her down to 10 liters on mask without BiPAP and doing substantially better. And the hospitalist still wanted me to intubate her. And I was like, I'm not doing that. It's not appropriate for me to do that in a patient that's improving. Why mm -hmm. would I do that? Number one, costs go up. Um, number two, risk goes up. So yes. Let's not do that. Let's, she's doing great. She's improving. So let's see how she does. And we actually got her taken care of, got her on, uh, actually got her down to room air and we're able to transfer her. Um, I, don't, I don't know what happened after that, but it was very interesting to me that not all that comes in short of breath with a fever is COVID and needs to be treated the same way. So yeah. we do get sick with other things. Too. You know, no, that is such a good point because that's all we're hearing about. That's all we're right. talking about. And as a parent of a child that has some breathing issues already, he had RSV as a little baby. That was my number one fear. When I heard about this being a respiratory, you know, virus thing, I'm like, great, here we go again, more breathing issues. And um, he got some kind of a virus in March. This is before kids were coming sure. down. This is before anybody was getting tested for it that hit him really hard. But as a parent, I'm like, well, as I treat all viruses the same, you know, like I'm like, I, I'm going to do the best I can and talk to the doctor and see if we need to do the breathing treatments, whatever. But I'm also, you know, I, I've been a parent for almost 16 years now and viruses happen all the time, sure. you know, and, and we've got to be prepared regardless of whether it's COVID or something else. And I think that that's, what's been really confusing for me during this time is, you know, just hearing about this one and well, this works, well, wait, this doesn't work or, you know, ventilator, no ventilator, you know, all of that. Right. And, and right. so what are you seeing data wise? Like what is the data showing us currently where mm -hmm. we are right now? And I will say this, we are recording this in August. So right. it's been, I mean, we've been quote shut down ish right. since March. So this Correct. is a good, how many months is that? That's five months. Yeah. 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 So what so are you seeing? I, so I track the numbers for COVID every day. Uh, I track them Oklahoma. That's the main thing I look mm -hmm. at, but I've got, I've got national data too. I can send you a link that we can, you can put in uh, for the podcast where awesome. you can, uh, where everyone can go to the CDC's website and see um, kind of what's going on numbers wise. One of the very interesting things to me is that, okay, so first let me say this. There is an expected 
mortality rate. We know that in, in America, and, and broken down by state, and the CDC follows this, we know that there is an expected number of deaths every day. Uh, so I'm just going to make up a number. Say it's 10,000 deaths uh, per day. And there's a, so you got your typical death rate, and then there's kind of the upper limit death rate, and there's a, a bar that runs across, um, and it's, it's every week this is tracked, and there's this, this bar that goes across the top. If we cross this line, then something's flagged and like something's not right. Something's going on because we're seeing more. This is all cause mortality. Uh, so we're seeing more deaths. So in Oklahoma, since this started, we have crossed that threshold twice. Two weeks in the last five months has that line crossed. And there is a lot of, and I may be getting off track for what you asked, but I think it's important for, okay, the, yeah. for the conversation. So when we're talking about a pandemic and uh, being in the middle of a pandemic and dealing with an acute issue like COVID, uh, that has so many multifactorial components. And there was cardiovascular. Uh, there's, you know, if you're diabetic, you're at higher risk. If uh, you have COPD or lung problems, you're at higher risk. All these different issues. And so when you have a COVID infection, someone is asymptomatic. Someone gets very mild symptoms, so simple, you know, so mild as to think that they don't necessarily have it. Some get a little sick and feel like they have the flu, and some get so sick that they die. Uh, I mean, heaven forbid, but that, that happens. Um, and I feel horrible for those families. But in the middle of this, there are so many components with that that you cannot look at something and say, they died of COVID. Even if they have a COVID test that's positive, you can't say that they died of COVID. Uh, nor can anyone say that they didn't die of COVID. So it becomes very difficult mm -hmm. to be able to assign numbers. So when we look at the numbers and they're talking about death, which that's not what they're talking about now, but uh, for the most part, when I uh, rarely, but when I watch the news, they're not really talking about death uh, and the death rate. And I'll come back to that in a second. They're talking about number of cases, which mm -hmm. I think we got to get rid of that terminology altogether, um, at least for the most part. Um, so, what we need to do is look at all cause mortality. And in other words, if when this started, if we shut everything down and all cause mortality drops dramatically, then, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's, there's some good thing in that. Uh, but our all cause mortality didn't really change. And in Oklahoma, despite, you know, everything being closed, we well, I say everything, uh, despite the, a lot of closure, um, we still crossed that all-cause mortality uh, twice, not in the same, uh, not back-to-back, -back, um, but we crossed that threshold twice. Other places, New York City, uh, dramatic, uh, mm. dramatic increase in death rate. But what was interesting to me, when you separate out COVID, so all-cause mortality with COVID, all-cause mortality without COVID, or actually, uh, yeah, because you're not really assigning did they die because of COVID. It's just you're, if they had a negative test or this was not COVID-related, uh, then you're in one group. The interesting thing to me is the all-cause mortality doubled, not COVID-related. So let that sink in for a second. They didn't have COVID. And I'm, again, I'm going to make up these numbers just to illustrate the point. If New York City was used to 3,000 people dying every week, and then this hits, and all of a sudden we go up to 6,000 a week, not counting COVID, you've doubled your, your, your non-COVID-related deaths. Why? Everything shut down. Why? And the interesting thing is that when you look at diagnoses, 
the, the diagnosis that actually had the largest increase was Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. They went above their normal death rate beyond anything else. And the question is why? Uh, the answer, I speculate because they were isolated. So you take people that have Alzheimer's, they're used to some patterns, they're used to seeing people that they know, and all of a sudden now they can't see anybody, they're isolated, and you know, it, it, it goes up. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, that's obviously not a good thing. So COVID deaths obviously went up, but non-COVID non related deaths went up dramatically. And, and we see the same thing in Oklahoma, and we look at uh, the same thing in Texas, the same thing in Florida, where anywhere there's a spike, the all-cause mortality, non-COVID-related, always goes up when, there, when it goes above that threshold. Hmm. It, if, it, if this is COVID only, you know, because of the mechanism of the virus and all those things, if it's only COVID, then why are we seeing this increase because of everything else? And I think it's hysteria. I think it's fear. I think it's, um, um, you know, I, I certainly can't say that wearing a mask causes people to die. I would never say that anyway. But, uh, but you have to look at what's changed. What did we do different and why is it this way? And, you know, the emotion I think is huge. Mm -hmm. And that plays a big role. And, you know, as you mentioned my military background, uh, as a military physician, we talk about this, that it doesn't matter what the injury, if you're on the losing side of the battle, doesn't matter what the injury is, your risk of dying goes up. Wow. If you're on the losing side, you're more likely to die of anything than on the winning side because the winning side has the emotion, the positive emotion behind it. Um, you know, all of those uh, we won uh, that the emotional piece carries a lot and we can't, we can't forget about that. And we don't, nobody talks about that. Uh, yeah. But as I started looking through this data, I started seeing that. So, in Oklahoma, you know, and talking about truth versus fiction and fear versus reality, um, in Oklahoma, we currently, over the last few weeks, I'm seeing a mortality rate of about 1%. And that's of people that get COVID. So we know that roughly 40% of the people have no symptoms. So how many of those aren't getting tested at all? So I think that our positive cases are lower than reality. And I think everybody would probably agree with that. And so if that's the case, then our then our mortality rate goes from 1%, maybe down to 0.5%. So is it really appropriate that we shut everything down? And then, you know, when you look at death rates, and I hope I'm answering your question. That yeah, no, it's fascinating. So, yes, yeah, okay. for sure. When you look at the death rate, you know, who dies of COVID? Well, in Oklahoma, our average death is age 75. The average age of death is 75. Um, people that die of COVID, um, less than the age of 50 only comprise about 5% of all deaths in Oklahoma. So that means 95% of people over the age of the die of COVID are over the age of 50. And then it goes up over the age of 65 and with the average age being 75. I think that if we separated COVID out and looked at death by age, I think we would see the same curve. In other words, with or without COVID, older people are more likely to die. With COVID, older people are more likely to die. Without COVID, older people are more likely to die. Right. Younger people are less likely to die with or without COVID. I don't have the data on those curves, but I think, it, I think there's probably a lot to be said about that. And if that's the case, and especially in Oklahoma where we're not seeing, we haven't seen higher death rates, should we be doing all of, the, all of this stuff 
Should we be mandating, and I'm not, I'm asking rhetorical questions. Should we be mandating that everybody wear a mask? Should we be, you know, these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, again, going back to one of the things I mentioned before about um, the, uh, I lost my train of thought, about, um, it was on, should we be doing these things? Uh, I lost it. We'll, we'll come back to it. Um, I'm and in ages and people yeah, there, who are older or. Yeah, it was on, I'll, I'll get back to it. Okay. And then it'll, it'll come to me. Um, but it, do we need to be doing all of these things? And I, I think, yes, let's be smart. Yes, let's do mm -hmm. things that make sense. You know, washing your hands. Uh, I think that um, some, some physical distancing uh, makes sense. Um, but to completely separate, uh, you know, I had uh, one of my patients was telling me that they went to Colorado and were uh, out hiking in one of the mountains. And every time they passed someone else, the other person would put their mask on as they passed them and then take it off. And it's like, you're on a mountain with pretty good wind. Do you really think that's doing anything? Yeah. No, it's not doing anything. So it, there's, there's just no reason for that. Um, again, do the smart things, do things that mm -hmm. make sense. Uh, and again, I can't, I can't say masks yes or no. I don't think they do what a lot of people say that they do but I also don't think they're as harmful as other people say that they, mm -hmm. uh, that they are. I am opposed yeah. to a mandate. I encourage it, incentivize, whatever you want to do. Uh, individual businesses, if they want to do that, that's fine. But any governmental level of mandate, I'm, I'm opposed to that uh, because there's not good data that it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And I don't care who says it, there is not a study that proves it. So, uh, so don't, and the thing is, is I hear smart people say, the data shows it. No, it doesn't. And if somebody can show me the difference, I'd be happy to see it. But it, it's not there. I've looked. And it's, yeah. there, is, there is not good data. Um, so uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, no, and, yeah, no, totally. And so getting back to the deaths for a second is, so you're saying that on average compared to years in the past, that are people, are we seeing an increase of death compared to say 2019, 2018? Um, is it an extravagant difference or is it about the same? So in Oklahoma, um, there is, uh, there has been no increase in all cause mortality. Hmm. Uh, now, when we go to, I've got Texas pulled up here. Now that's United States. Let me pull up Texas real quick. Um, Cause that, that's a little closer to home for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there, there is, I'm waiting on the data. Okay. So there has been an increase in all cause mortality, but let me separate out, um, that should have the COVID versus non COVID and it's okay. So that it, it has gone up in Texas starting about, uh, April 4th. Uh, it start did start going over that line, but again, what you're seeing is a very small number of COVID deaths, but your all-cause mortality is really pushing the line. So we see an increase in all-cause mortality and an increase in the COVID uh, mortality. And then that, that really started going up the end of June, beginning of July. Um, and that's when we started seeing a spike in, in Texas. And now it's dropping down again as of last week. Uh, the all-cause mortality non-COVID related is still above the threshold, but it's coming down quite a bit. Wow. Uh, so I think 
that you know we are seeing some improvements um, in that. And you know we saw the same thing with with New York City. And I do think mm-hmm. that shutting those things down initially was a good idea. Oh, I don't remember what I was going to go back to. It when when this thing first started, and we were shutting things down. The idea of shutting it down was not to stop the virus. No one said, let's stop the virus. The idea is that you're, quote, flattening the curve. And we heard that, uh, we heard that term over and over again. And what's the intent of flattening the curve? The idea, and when you flatten the curve, if, if you have a spike, you get all of your cases up front, you get this massive spike. Well, we want to flatten that out. That means you still have lots of cases but you spread them out so that you don't overwhelm the medical system's ability to manage critically ill people. Yes. And I can't speak for, uh, for Dallas or Houston or New York city or anywhere else. Uh, I can only speak to what I've seen and what I've seen in Oklahoma uh, has not been at any time. Was it overwhelming the system? And I, I do not pretend that that's the same everywhere else. I, I, I mean, I've got lots of theories um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I've got lots of theories about uh, different things. Um, you know, and th- there's no question there's incentive for hospitals to code something as COVID because they do get reimbursed at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's, that's not a conspiracy. That's, it costs more to take care of a COVID patient, mm-hmm. period. So um, it, it, substantially more because of all of the fear and PPEs and changing gloves and gowns right. and masks and all these time, things for everybody every time. It costs more, so you have to reimburse more. So that makes sense to me. Uh, it's not somebody's weird conspiracy. But it, as if I'm a hospital CEO and I'm going to tell my docs, hey, if they've got COVID, then code it because we get make more money. I get that. It's a business. Um, right. It's not them trying to dilute out the numbers and uh, you know either side of the political aisle trying to to steer an agenda. Although there may be some stuff going on, uh, some of those things going on. Um, I don't think that's the driving force. That's my opinion. So the issue is it started off as let's flatten the curve. And now all of a sudden we've changed the game and they're saying we've got positive cases. Well, you're going to have positive cases. That's not going to change until either we have herd immunity, the virus dies out. There's a, uh, a vaccine that, you know, everybody gets, or many people gets, um, and I'm not advocating for or against any of those things. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that those are some of the, the factors. So that's one of the irritating things to me is that what I've heard in the media is this, this change in paradigm where now it's, well, we got to initially flatten the curve and now it's, well, we, there's too many cases. Well, that there's going to be cases. Right. And is that like asymptomatic? Is that a bad thing? I mean, when I hear asymptomatic, I think, well, maybe that's somebody's immune system working the way it's supposed to. And, and fighting it off. I don't, and I, I don't know, this is just, that's why I'm asking sure. you, what does it even mean to be asymptomatic? Yeah. Is that good or bad? Should, be con- should we be concerned or asymptomatic spreading it to everybody they come in contact with? Yeah. What have so, you seen there? So two separate pieces. One is you're talking about the individual. So the individual was exposed, um, uh, got the infection, their immune system is, is managing that. Uh, so they are handling it and they're really asymptomatic means they're not having symptoms. So, Technical by definition, asymptomatic means you're just not having symptoms to it, whether you have it or not. So, if we're talking about an infected asymptomatic, then they got it, uh, have antibodies or a positive test, but they're not expressing symptoms or exhibiting symptoms. Uh, so, for them, that's a great thing. 
that's I I would hope that every COVID patient were asymptomatic. That's a if that were the case, then we wouldn't be having any conversation at all uh, because there would be nothing to be worried about. But the problem is the other side of that because if they come in contact with someone that is at risk, then there is a chance that they transmit the virus to them and they could become really sick. Now, if they're asymptomatic and don't know and they're spreading it, now you have an asymptomatic carrier or are transmitting uh, the virus to other people. So in a sense, that's not good because you can't put in the control measures to try and prevent someone else from getting it. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And do have we seen in, in the data that asymptomatics are spreading it? Or is it, is it, not as bad as somebody who is presenting symptoms? So I would, I'm, first of all, I can't answer the question. I'm not an epidemiologist. Um, I understand epidemiology fairly well, but I'm not in the trenches with that. The way it works is if like, say there's a, a restaurant, somebody gets hepatitis A, and usually that's spread fecal oral. A lot of times it's a restaurant or you know something food related. And so an epidemiologist can go in and say, okay, um, they got it here, who else was exposed to this? And they see, they'll trace it back and say, here's the source, here's, you know, here's what's going on. I'm not a privileged to that data with COVID. Um, and it would be, it's difficult to do that on the scale with which we're dealing now, mm -hmm. because you might have 10 different potential exposures, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and those kinds of things. So this gets into, like my parents, uh, my dad is 80, he has cardiovascular disease. Um, I'm not real worried about him because I feel very comfortable in, uh, in management and we've got lots of good tools in the toolbox uh, that I, I think we could manage him if we caught that early. But I think it makes sense for him to be a little more restricted than somebody like yourself or me. I'm not as worried about it, but is it appropriate that I have him come and hang out at my house or I go and hang out at his house and, uh, and we spend a lot of time together when I'm working in the emergency room and he, eh, you know, maybe we want to minimize that. I, my opinion, I would still, I would even hug him, but I, I would, I would minimize the contact. Uh, I would maintain some distancing. Uh, of course in our house, uh, in the house we're, we're building our house. So in the house that we're building, we're doing a lot of air filtration. We're doing a lot of air purifiers and which we actually started that process before COVID even came around. So uh, I like that concept. So yeah, I, I wouldn't, but I don't think everybody needs to do that. Um, so yes, asymptomatic carriers can be a potential problem uh, for one, for the epidemiologist, it really clouds the picture. Uh, and you don't know, am I around someone that's carrying it or not? I don't know. And so yes, there's always a potential exposure. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's what's been really confusing for a lot of people too, is that we've never heard of and maybe we have, it just hasn't been as ever present in conversation like, oh, well, I tested positive for the flu, but I'm not showing symptoms. Usually you don't get tested for the flu unless you're showing symptoms, exactly. you know, or exactly. whatever other virus there, because there are so many. Um, right. So this is the first time that we've been told you could carry something and, and not know that you have it. And so be careful. And I just wonder what, what that's going to do long term you know, do we live in fear of every little virus or what are things that we could be doing now to support our bodies and maybe not live in fear because this is one virus out of millions. I mean, how many right. viruses yeah. are out there? Lots of stuff. Yeah, And we'll have and newer ones again, right? So, so exactly. what can we be doing to support our body other than playing it safe? Yeah. So that goes back to, you know, don't be a victim, don't be a target. 
Um, so you want to be as healthy as possible. Have your blood sugar uh, as low as you can get it. Um, and I, I want my A1C as the average blood sugar over 90 days. I want my A1C, if I can get it below five, I'm happy. Um, in fact, I have a type one diabetic, saw him yesterday in clinic, type one diabetic on insulin. His A1C is 5.0. I was blown away. I've never seen that. And of course, then you have to talk about, do your blood sugars ever go too low? But anyway, so that's another topic. He's doing everything he can wow. to, I mean, so his diet has to be spot on. Mm -hmm. You know, don't eat inflammatory foods. Make sure that you've got good gut health. 70 to 80% immune system lives in your gut. Gut health is incredibly important. So if you've got a leaky gut and gut problem, you got to get that fixed. Probiotics are good for that. Uh, L-glutamine, uh, digestive enzymes, um, you know, hydrochloric acid, all those things, making sure that you're breaking down your food. Uh, vitamin D, I think, is a huge deal. When you look at some mm -hmm. studies out of Europe, uh, vitamin D, low vitamin D, less than 20, uh, is associated. People that got COVID had much higher severe illness. If you had a vitamin D level greater than 30 in these, data, in these studies, then your severe illness was almost none. Uh, they were all mild symptoms. So it doesn't prove anything. It's just correlation. But I like vitamin D levels around 80. So that's, we measure those on all Aye. of our patients. Um, and I, I strive for that for myself. Uh, we're aggressive with that, but we follow it and we track it and we trend it. Um, uh, zinc, I think is very important. There's some studies on coronavirus, not uh, SARS-CoV-2, the current uh, uh, coronavirus, but uh, the, there are some studies on old, uh, well, I say old, 2010 coronavirus uh, mm -hmm. that zinc inhibits the uh, multiplication of the virus. We have to assume, or maybe you can assume, that it, it probably also inhibits SARS-CoV-2, um, the current COVID-19 version of the coronavirus. Um, I, I'm a big fan of vitamin C. Uh, vitamin C, uh, there was a paper published in the 1940s. Uh, I can't remember the physician's name off the top of my head. I should know it, but cured. And I hate using that word because the FDA gets all over people, but that's what his paper showed. Um, 60 out of 60 cases, that's 100% of polio cases. And these, many of them were lumbar puncture confirmed polio cases. And they were, their symptoms were resolved in 72 hours. And that's a published paper uh, that just doesn't get a lot of data. So vitamin C can be very powerful. And I'm not, I, to be clear, I am not saying vitamin C cures COVID. Right. I'm very clear about that. Um, but it's one of those things that there's really no harm. And I like high levels. Mm -hmm. The stuff that a lot of the docs are using six grams, you know, a couple, three times a day and with steroids and those kinds of things. I like do 50 grams. Uh, I like much higher levels because there is no reported toxicity to vitamin C. Uh, so go for it. Uh, so that's another thing that I would do. And it really needs to, that's IV. You can do oral vitamin C. Uh, there's just an absorption limit. Um, right. So you have to be Liposomal, careful. is that a better form? I like liposomal better because I think it probably does absorb better. I don't have any, I don't have, there's probably, there may be some studies I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't say for sure. Uh, vitamin A actually has some benefit uh, mm -hmm. with immune support. There are immune support supplements like uh, beta three six glucan or three six beta glucan. Um, the uh, the supplement company that I highly recommend is uh, Zymogen, a great company. Uh, and there's the one that I would recommend would be Immunotics or Immune Essentials. Um, there are other companies that make similar things. I just I don't know what they are. Um, I like uh, Andrographis. Uh, there are some other uh, herbal kinds of things mm -hmm. that. 
uh, inhibit viral issues. Uh, blueberries help natural killer cells. Uh, so natural killer cells help kill uh, cells infected with viruses. Uh, so there's some benefit with that. Of course, you know, blueberries are good right now. So um, <laughs> you can actually get them um, fresh. So there are a number of things that you can do. And then, of course, if you've got uh, cardiovascular disease, enhancing your nitric oxide. Yes. Um, there's anything Glad that you, you mentioned that nitric yeah. oxide, um, your beetroot. Um, there are several different, there, uh, there's a couple of different pathways through which we make nitric oxide. I would, I always recommend that people quit using mouthwash that has uh, alcohol uh, mm. that kills bacteria in your mouth. You can't convert nitrates, nitrites to nitrates. So then you can't make nitric oxide and that there are studies on that. And you can actually make someone hypertensive by giving them mouthwash. Um, proton pump inhibitors uh, actually decrease nitric oxide, increase cardiovascular disease. So um, they have their place. I'm not anti those medications across the board, but I am not, you know, where I was traditionally trained, just put them on a PPI and, uh, you know, medicines like Nexium or, or uh, okay. Protonics and those kinds of things, where I would normally just put them on there and be like, oh, you can take it forever. No, that's fix the gut. And and get off those medications because that can affect your cardiovascular system and nitric oxide. So that can affect the COVID uh, cardiovascular connection. Nitric oxide is a big deal there too. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that about mouthwash because I just heard that probably about a month ago. And I thought that is interesting because, you know, bacteria is a good thing to some extent. We want right. to have, I mean, you know, I think right. about all the hand sanitizer sanitizers that people are using and all the overhand washing and how we're probably killing off too much of our <laughs> good bacteria, you know, yep. I mean, who knows, but exactly. um, that's so interesting about the mouthwash. And I did not know that about the PPIs. So well, that's, can I, I want to interject one thing you, on, sure. on what you mentioned. So I heard Dr. Fauci the other day uh, talk about, well, this was a report that I read that uh, some people have an immunity against COVID because of previous exposures to other coronavirus uh, other coronaviruses. There was enough, uh, he suspected there was enough uh, immune coverage similarity that they were immune to COVID-19 or they were able to mount an immune response. So that's previous viral exposure. What damage are we doing? It's a hypothetical question, but what damage are we doing by trying to, to bubble boy everybody and, and yeah. keep us from being exposed to the one bad thing and we're not getting exposed to other things that help our immune system. So I think that's another valid point. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's real interesting because you know that whole boost your immune system by getting outside and playing in dirt like we tell our kids to do, Absolutely. you know, right. like it goes right along with that. Um, right. I, I do have a question. I read an interesting study about low glutathione levels being a right. cause of serious complication or maybe even death in COVID. Right. Um, maybe you can explain a little bit about what glutathione is and why maybe we would need that or how our body uses it. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of um, doctors are even recommending using NAC in acetylcysteine, correct yeah. for this. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So in acetylcysteine has benefits aside from its precursor as, as a, as glutathione. Uh, so there it, uh, in acetylcysteine, if I remember correctly, it helps inhibit NADPH oxidase, which is a chemical that enhances, uh, um, the oxidation of several things, including oxidized LDL, which promotes cardiovascular disease. Uh, so I take in acetylcysteine, I take, to be clear, I take about 30 or 40 supplements every day. So I take a lot of stuff myself, uh, but I track my numbers and I see what works. And that's, you know, I recommend partially based on that. Um, so 
uh, N-acetylcysteine. Cysteine is the amino acid and it's the N-acetyl form. Cysteine is, the, is a precursor to making glutathione. And you have enzymes called glutathione peroxidase uh, that, uh, that will uh, regenerate or make glutathione. So glutathione is the master antioxidant and it is incredibly important. You know, you basically a lot of our um, aging um, damage to our body occurs through inflammation, oxidative stress, or immune dysfunction, uh, those three things. So in trying to get healthier and trying to turn off some of these processes, and it can happen because of you know, hundreds of different reasons, but uh, you want to try and uh, counterbalance the inflammation. Inflammation can be very healthy because it's part of the immune response, mm -hmm. but chronic inflammation is a bad thing. So you want to be able to balance that and turn that inflammation off. And many times it's like, a, uh, it's like flash paper. You light the thing and it just goes off and there's no stopping it. So you want to be able to put these things in check as much as you can. Uh, oxidation, oxidative stress uh, happens naturally. You breathe oxygen, you make oxidation, you have oxidation. Glutathione is one of many antioxidants, but it's considered kind of the master antioxidant. And there's some genetic issues where you don't make glutathione as well. Uh, certainly there are nutritional issues, but all of the, um, what we call thiols, um, nitrosothiols are, and glutathione is one, cysteine is one, uh, they are reservoirs for nitric oxide. So nitric oxide is, you've got a half-life of, uh, I think one to two seconds. If I, It's either milliseconds or just a couple of seconds, one of the two, I can't remember, it's very short. Um, but if it's attached to a thiol, glutathione, cysteine, one of these things, then it's, it extends to minutes. So you have a much better reservoir from which you can kind of hold on to nitric oxide. So nitric oxide controls your endothelial function. So with COVID, you have people that are getting clots in their, in their arteries and things like that. That is because of a process where nitric oxide probably pr plays a significant role in this. And when COVID, because COVID attaches to the, uh, the ACE2 enzyme, which is uh, angiotensin converting enzyme, it's part of the RAS system or the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, which controls blood pressure and circulation and endothelial function, all kinds of things. When people take ACE inhibitors like lisinopril, quinaz uh, quinopril, uh, those kinds of things, those, are, uh, those block uh, the formation of angiotensin II, which is part of that RAS system. So all of that stuff is interconnected. And so you've got big cardiovascular components with that. Uh, but the ACE2 um, enzyme is where some things uh, bind to help balance some of that. And since SARS-CoV-2 binds to that, and that's where it enters the body, uh, that's kind of the docking station where it comes in, um, there's a, probably a big cardiovascular component just because of that. That also probably explains individual susceptibility. So yeah. glutathione is very important at oxidative stress, which is part of the whole process. It's, it's think of it as the fire extinguisher, sort of. Uh, so as the fire is raging the, and the virus causes a fire, uh, this is kind of part of the fire that helps put everything back in check, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. And you know what that even makes me wonder, and this is, this is just me talking with an Aaron theory. Okay. Like these are just <laughs> random theories that I come up. I have no basis of anything to back this up, but I think about, you know, people that have MTHFR yep. and how that can predispose us maybe to struggling more with detoxification um, and maybe even some blood clotting issues. I, right. I would love to see if 
some of the people that are struggling the most with COVID also have MTHFR. Could oh there be goodness. a connection? I, uh, well, certainly there could be. Um, I've got so many questions. And in our clinic for our patients, we run a full panel. We check MTHFR, we check B12 mm -hmm. and folate levels, we check vitamin D. So we look at all of these things and I'm like, man, I wish I could get a full panel on every single COVID patient and see, yeah. is there, where's the break? Where mm -hmm. the people that are sick, where is it? Um, and I'll bet you there's something. Uh, I'll bet yeah. you we'll see some trends. And I think MTHFR could because that is part of detoxification, uh, certainly part of the, uh, your uh, phase two primarily detoxification in the liver. And of course, glutathione plays a big role in the liver. So you got a lot of overlap with multiple different biochemical processes uh, that are all very important. And so you want to support those as much as you can. One of my 30 supplements I take every day is 5-MTHF plus B12 because mm -hmm. I, I am heterozygote abnormal on both of the MTHFR SNPs. Okay. So um, I, I do that just to maintain good homocysteine levels and make sure that those systems are flowing well. Yeah, no, that's great. I love talking MTHFR because that's part of my <laughs> mental health history is I found yep. out that, that that's something that I have and most likely my kids. And, you know, and so right. I think it's really important to be aware of these things because then we can know, okay, I might be deficient in this so I can supplement. And I love that you right. run all of those labs because not everybody does. Um, yep. and, I, and it's so important. Um, yeah. Let's go back for a second to long-term big picture yep. because we're running out of time, but you know, I, one of the things that when people are looking long-term or talking about masks, I mean, are masks the solution forever? Are we waiting on, do you think, um, do you have hopes for this fast-tracked vaccine that is being <laughs> developed right now? Right. Um, I kind of like to get your thoughts on that. And that's a little sure. controversial, but um, there are so many questions out there yeah. about this vaccine or solutions or preventatives sure. or whatever. So this, these are my opinions. Uh, so first, I am not an anti-vaxxer. Um, with my special operations background in the military, I've been vaccinated against everything on the planet. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. I don't necessarily agree with, you know, the way we do kids and run them through and you get them all at this. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but um, I, I think immunizations without question have great place. So I want to be very clear about that. Yeah. Um, I... Uh, but if someone doesn't want to get them, I'm not going to beat them up. Um, I mm -hmm. think they got that right. Um, but, you know, there's no question that polio vaccine works. Without question, that works. Smallpox, that works. Uh, my issue with, with a vaccine for COVID, number one, uh, so flu vaccine. I am not an advocate for the flu vaccine. Why? Because it doesn't work. And this is, this, I've got this written on my website with, with references. This is not an opinion thing. There is lots of data and people talk about uh, the flu shot working. And what they're talking about is when you get a flu shot, you get antibodies against the flu, but does it lower your chances of getting the flu? And the answer is it lowers it about one or 2%. And I'm talking, uh, these are this published data. Uh, I, I didn't read that post, so I, it's not on the front of my brain, but um, that that data is is out there. It's on my website with references. So those are peer-reviewed journals, published data. Um, so I'm not a big advocate for the flu shot. If somebody came after me with a needle and we're going to say, I'll kill your kids if you don't get a flu shot, would I fight them? No. Okay, fine. Not that big of a deal. But I'm going to support my immune system in other ways as well. Um, so this my, my problem with a, a COVID vaccine is this 
there are multiple different strains of the virus. So I have heard them say that this virus does not mutate. I've also seen data from other countries that this virus mutates a lot. My part of my problem is that coronavirus, the common cold coronavirus, does mutate a lot. So how efficacious is this vaccine going to be, number one? And I, I am not incredibly hopeful that they're going to get a vaccine that works really well against COVID-19. And if you get exposed, you will not get COVID-19. Something like polio would do. I, I just, I'm not, I, I don't, at this point, I don't believe it. Um, but that maybe, maybe it is. Now, fast tracking, um, personally, I want more data. I want to see safety data. Um, mm -hmm. I was talking this morning about drugs like uh, Vioxx. So this was an anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. drug that was on the market. Um, and it worked great for pain. But in post-market surveillance, after phase one, two, and three clinical trials, it had been out for several years, they said there's too many incidents of uh, cardiovascular problems. Uh, I think that was the issue. And they pulled it from the market. But it wasn't until they had years of data. So I, you know, in many areas, you don't want to be the first one to do something. You don't want to be the last one to do something. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, I, I think my personal opinion, I think it's a little delusional to say once we get a vaccine, we're going to go to normal, uh, number one. Uh, number two, even if that vaccine is really good, we don't have really good mechanisms to distribute that vaccine and everybody get right. it within a month. It's not going to happen. Uh, the, and, and this virus could, I'm not saying it will, um, but this could taper on its own. It is completely and entirely possible. I'm not saying it's likely, um, but it could. So why did SARS-1, CoV-1, the original SARS, why did it taper out like it did? And I don't have, maybe somebody has an answer. I don't. Um, but we could see something like that. Um, so I, I just, I'm not all that hopeful. Um, I, want, I want data and I want mm -hmm. safety. So yeah, um, yeah that's, that's my opinion. That's great. And I love that balanced perspective. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because we are seeing, again, so many extremes on all sides right. for everything. Right. And I would like to fall somewhere of, of, you know, being safe, playing it safe, but not going extreme like, oh, we're all going to have to shelter forever. Because one of the things like you mentioned before, and we didn't get into it, I am concerned about the increasing rates of suicide, you know, and mental health Absolutely. issues. Yes. And I'm like, we can't live like this forever because it is, it is literally killing people, you know, in other ways yes. other than from a virus. Yes. So, um, yeah. So I, I love that the, the tips that you gave us as far as supplements, um, eating real food is always good. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I know, you know, you're a, a CrossFit uh, promoter and exercise is important yes. as well. Yes. And to be clear, i um, I was a CrossFit level one trainer. I like that kind of approach. Okay. I think CrossFit, um, I think the way it was started was awesome. What it, I think it became something beyond what it mm. should have been with, I think it became a little unsafe mm, and on for your, every person going into your CrossFit gym. Some of the workouts that I've seen are just stupid, mm. um, and, and really could set people up for injury. And I've seen a lot of that. That's, so, that's really good to know. Um, it's, I like the approach. I like that uh, multimodal type, the way CrossFit mm -hmm. originally started. I like that. Um, so anyway, 
for the yeah. No, that's good to know. But I mean, all of these tools are things that we can do beyond let's just hide in our houses, you know, and <laughs> um, wash our hands obsessively. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that this virus is something that just comes out and jumps on you like a bug. Right. And the fact is it's, it's not just a bug. Correct. Right? And, and, and to be clear, I asked my EMS department in my emergency room, so you have to understand these guys are stuck in an ambulance for at where they are. They're going to be in the vehicle for an hour with a patient and they're transporting COVID patients. And you know, of course they wear a mask and those kinds of things, but they're stuck in a box for an hour with a COVID patient. And I asked yeah. them, how many of you guys have gotten sick? And they said, none. Wow. Now we know of EMS that have, mm -hmm. but in, in our EMS system, and I, I mean, they've, they've transported many. It's not like now they're out in the middle of nowhere and they've seen one. This is, they've transported many of them. I know that to mm -hmm. be a fact. And I said, how many of you guys have gotten sick? And they said, none. And he said, now, not all, not all of us get tested every day, but none of us got sick. Wow. So to be clear, so we think this virus is going to, like you said, it's going to jump on you. And if you walk outside, you're going to be struck down with, you know, with like a laser from heaven. And that's, mm -hmm. that is not the case. Um, I do wear a mask when I'm in front of COVID patients in the emergency room, but I'll tell you, I do not get crazy about it. Now, at the same time, I am not in a high COVID concentration area. So I don't want to take mm -hmm. away from the guys, you know, in New York city at the main hospital where they had right. multiple and are overwhelmed. My situation is not that. So I can't speak one way or another to that, but kind of my, your average every day. And even, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just outside of Tulsa. I've got, uh, guys that I went to medical school with that are emergency room physicians, they're same, same deal. They see higher rates, but they're not, uh, they are, they wear their masks, they wash their hands, they do all those things um, in the emergency room. And I, I'll, my personal thing, I don't wear a mask outside of the emergency room. And if someone makes me wear a mask because of somewhere I'm going, then okay, fine. But I'm not doing it. That's just... <laughs> Uh, yeah. But I'm also not out shopping lots of times and those kinds of things. I'm not doing it for my own protection. Let me say it that way. If somebody, right. you know, of course, if uh, and I maintain a high vigilance, and of course, I could be an asymptomatic uh, carrier <laughs> like you were talking about. But um, I, I'm just not that worried about it. I try and stay distanced, and you know, those kinds of things. I do think if you have a COVID patient or a COVID exposure, and you're next next to them uh, with with a lot of frequency. Uh, I think that distancing and exposure time does matter. So I, mm -hmm. I think that's why some people got so sick initially, they were exposed in a way that they didn't know um, and at higher levels. So I think viral load absolutely matters. And I think that's one reason why we're seeing lower levels uh, now, mm -hmm. um, or at least a little lower severity across the board. Not that some people aren't just as sick, uh, but I think it's because we've created a little bit of a gap um, and I, in some ways, I think that's a good thing. Yes. I've wondered that as well as if we're becoming a little bit more, um, used to it. I, I don't know if is herd immunity, a possibility with something that could possibly mutate. Is that something we can look forward uh, to? Yeah, I think, it, I think that is a possibility, but you have to get higher numbers than where we are now. Mm. Uh, you know, Oklahoma current number I think we've got three, is it 3 million people in Oklahoma? I don't remember. Uh, we have a total of 400 as of, uh, as of yesterday evening, 46,897 cases. So 
you know, almost 50,000 cases out of 3 million, not enough for herd immunity. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's such good information. And I, this, we have gone way over time, but I just kept wanting to know more things. <laughs> so thank you so much. And let us know, where can we um, find you, all of your social media information, your website, if people are in Oklahoma, or I don't know if you do virtual sessions, so people can sure. reach out. Yeah, we can, absolutely can. So uh, revolutionhealth.org is our website. Um, I don't even know our Facebook link, but it's all on our website. Uh, I do have a podcast. We haven't been awesome. doing that recently just because we've been so overwhelmed with so many other things. Uh, you know, we're personally, we're building our house and like I've literally been out there building today. So wow. I'm involved in that. I'm not just paying other people to do it. Um, although I am. Um, but um, our clinic phone number is 918-935-3636. And uh, we'd be happy to help um, anyone in any way that we can our Facebook page and uh, all of those kinds of things would be through our website and we've got our podcast. And then my wife and I have a YouTube channel. Again, we've kind of put that on back burner for now, but it's the doc and Diana show. Um, and my wife's a function, uh, an integrative health coach, functional medicine, health coach. Um, and she's invaluable to our practice and what we do. Mm -hmm. So, um, she loves all of this stuff as well. Um, and so find us through one of those things and, uh, love to hear her opinions about, my opinions. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. You've brought to light a lot of interesting things and I appreciate you taking the time and coming on. Oh, hey, thank you so much for having me. I consider it a true honor. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.